Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to another conversation with Yoder's Farm. And today is January the 2nd. We are already into the new year of 2020. And we are going to bring you a short podcast, hopefully catch you up a bit on what we've done the last couple of weeks. And talk a little bit more about tomatoes. Uh, Eldon has turned it over to the mere amateurs again, like he did last time. And I'm here with Dad. Hi, Dad. How are you doing? Good evening. I'm fine. I'm fine. All right. Late in the evening, and we're all tired, so we have to make this uh, fairly short. What did you do today? Uh, Today was one of those days we enjoy on the farm with lots of variety. Uh, Probably the most um, time-consuming was a marketing trip to Charlottesville. We have one of our outlets for our tomatoes is there. So we have been making weekly trips, or almost weekly, uh, since we started picking at a wholesale level this uh, last fall. Yep, and I spent most of my day actually in the greenhouse doing uh, tomato work as well. So, yeah, today was a tomato day, I guess. Sort of, uh, yeah, tomatoes are front and center. We, of course, have our animals to feed and watch over everything else around the place, but uh, tomatoes sort of get the priority these days. All right, so uh, we talked last time kind of about heating and um, the importance of uh, heating our greenhouses this time of the year, those kind of things. thought maybe this time we should take a bit of a step back and talk just a little bit about tomatoes in general uh, what makes our, our tomatoes a little different and, uh, talk a little bit about the growing process, etc. So we grow hydroponic tomatoes. Uh, some people have a hard time saying that word. We've heard hydraulic tomatoes and different variations. Hydrophonic. Hydrophonic tomatoes, uh, different variations on that fancy word. Would you want to give us a brief, uh, uh, definition and um, just elaborate on our tomatoes and what well, makes them different. Hydroponics have it's been a it's a growing method that's been around since the Garden of Eden and the mist going up and watering the garden. Uh, had the ancient Babylonians with their hanging gardens on the walls of uh, Babylon. They were hydroponic gardens. Much more recently, uh, South Pacific World War Two. The troops were growing some of their produce and greens on the South Pacific Islands uh, hydroponically. The Dutch were instrumental uh, in more modern uh, hydroponics as they reclaimed some of the some of the sea land. The soil was too salty uh, to grow crops in, so they worked hard with hydroponics. And actually, some of the varieties of tomato seeds we're using now were were Dutch uh, in origin. Uh, the one we really like uh, that we still have available is the Trust Tomato, which was a DeRoyter Seed Company tomato straight from Holland. So, and uh, hydroponic basically means uh, that it gets its nutrients uh, from the the water. That's correct. The liquid. So our tomatoes, we have them in pots. The pots are not filled with soil. They're filled with uh, coconut fiber product called coer and the roots are basically rooted in that like they would be in soil and each pot gets watered from above the fertilizers in the water and it makes the plant grow 
That's kind of the, the that's, long short that's of That's correct. Mm-hmm. And um, a few differences with hydroponic production versus soil production as you grow your garden, for example, and you add amendments like leaves or manure or fertilizer, etc. You're feeding the soil. The soil in turn feeds the plant. With hydroponic production, we need to actually feed the plant itself. So it's uh, it needs to be carefully monitored. You can get things uh, out of whack fairly quickly. But yes, we're feeding the plant itself and of course responding to Uh, issues that we see, whether plant color, plant uh, health in general, or tissue samples, or uh, we monitor our fertilizer water as well to try to stay on track. So, yeah, if you're growing, uh, you know, soil, you have a bit of a buffer, you, you know, things don't change quite as quickly. But when everything is being supplied through these little watering systems, then I, yeah, things can change rather quickly and then it can quickly make a difference in the plant. Uh, How many times a day would you say our systems are watering? We have several different kinds of systems. The the most advanced problem is the solar grow, which is responding. It feeds based on the amount of uh, solar radiation. So on a bright sunny day, we'll feed many times. And you'd want to have per plant probably at least a gallon and a half or so in one of those pots with two plants in it. Uh, on a cloudy day, you might only feed once or twice. As photosynthesis happens, of course, uh, nutrient uptake is also uh, stimulated through the roots. So uh, the sun is what makes the difference. And, of course, in longer days uh, on into the summer, you're going to be feeding your plants more and you kind of, it's... Uh, season dependent as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have uh, there. There are two tanks that we get our mix from. One's a nitrogen tank. One's a fertilizer tank, and that balance. And talk about a little bit about that, and uh, talk about your EC meter. Yeah. So our fertilizer, we don't mix the complete fertilizer that goes directly to the plant. They, the fertilizers would, um, for one, it would require a very large tank. The other is that uh, fertilizers don't always get along so well together in the concentrated form anyway. So we would have the two tanks, as Lowell said, one with the uh, calcium nitrate, which is the, the nitrogen source. And then we have a hydroponic fertilizer in the other tank uh, that that. Both of these concentrates are metered in proportionately as the water flows out to water these plants. We run ours at about 2%. Uh, there's infinite adjustments that you can make with both your concentration and uh, with your ratio that you feed. Uh, what we're doing, um, you know, there's science behind it be honest with you it gets to be kind of like feeding cows you just make we make sure they clean up what they're supposed to every week and that's usually working out pretty well and on the ec meter the ec meter basically it's one simple measurement of electroconductivity and uh, so when i have my my ratios right i'm feeding an ec level of about 2.8 to 3.2 and that's just a, a, a measurement of the amount of uh, conductive solids that are in the in the fertilizer solution. 
which is just a measurement of um, of the fertilizers that the plant is getting. Yeah, I don't I don't even pretend to understand all that. I just uh, thought it was interesting. We were playing around with the EC meter today. It's something that we actually use, you know, fairly regularly, just checking up, making sure that what you mix a new batch fertilizer that the ECs are are right and uh, if the plants are looking a little bit off that's the first thing we probably check is the ECs and we got the, the fancy meter and plunge it in and see where the blinking light goes uh, so we aren't uh, obviously growing some of the varieties that most people are familiar with in their gardens uh, we've played around with many varieties over the years believe Grande did actually start growing Blitz tomatoes uh, way back that, when. That's a name I remember from back yeah, in the 90s. I'm not sure if he actually started with that, but yeah, we've, and I guess, you know, probably um, there's been ongoing uh, breeding and research and so forth, so the varieties have shifted some over the years. Uh, we Right now, you mentioned we're growing one called Trust. Uh, we really like that one. It's been just a very consistent, solid tomato for us. I remember we used to have a partial row of the little Tricia tomatoes. It was a cluster tomato, nice. It was actually a very firm, a little bit like the the BHN Mm -hmm. 589 tomatoes that we have now. And we even had some yellow ones back in those days. That's right. We've grown Uh, Big Dina. That's right. Uh, There are a number of varieties that could be grown in a garden. Uh, one thing we we like to use in our in the greenhouses because we have a long growing season, we like to use an indeterminate tomato, which uh, that means it's it's continually setting new fruit, uh, blooming and setting new fruit as it's ripening the the fruit that's already set. Um, determinate tomatoes, by contrast, are more about uh, doing things at at the same time. In other words, you get a lot of blooms, your fruit set, and then you have your tomatoes kind of all coming in in a much shorter window. Uh, indeterminate's good for us because it spreads things out and uh, gives us that growing tip to work with and train. Yeah, so that's uh, what I was actually working at today was with leaning and lowering. Basically, you have to move the plant along your trellising system and and these are all supported from a cable you know suspended up above the each row basically and the the plant is uh, clipped to a twine and then the twine is hooked or yeah basically hooked up to to that cable and uh, every usually every two weeks we try to if the plant's growing we lean and lower so you take off maybe three to four leaves on the bottom four or five depending on how much it's grown drop that the plant a little bit so it uh, doesn't poke up past the cables and uh, just makes everything more more manageable so that's what i was working on today and then i usually uh, you know work on clipping at the same time bottom leaves clipping and then you talked about training um basically you have this growing point and then suckers form off of that and since we want the the thing to keep growing straight and we want one growing 
tip. Basically, we have to sucker every week or two, and basically means just pop popping them off. Um, usually three, four, or five per per plant per time. A little hard to explain exactly what a sucker is uh, over the air, but anyway, <laughs> it's a little un unneeded thing that uh, keeps the tomato from getting all bushy. Keeps it, it keeps, keeps it focused. Yeah, keeps mm -hmm. one growing tip and uh, basically we're just stacking tomato clusters up this plant if everything's doing well you don't miss one you have six seven eight clusters of tomato at a time from little marble or smaller well actually blooming and then marble size stepping on down golf ball size to a nice uh, hopefully half pound uh, cluster of three or four or five mm -hmm mostly red ones at the bottom so mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's the goal the goal and and how it's supposed to look doesn't always look that way we're looking at blooms up top we talked a little earlier about you know sort of monitoring the plant to to see how its health is well a good bright yellow bloom is a good indicator that things are trending well it's also tells you you better have your bees working or and getting that pollinated uh, so it can go ahead and set that little pea-sized uh, tomato. Yeah, and we use bumblebees to do that. They work better inside a greenhouse than, say, honeybees. They somehow get oriented a little bit better in a in a smaller space. So we just buy those, get them shipped in, and generally use a couple per house, uh, especially during the winter months when there's not as much airflow. Tomatoes can pollinate with uh, wind and air movement too but um, our fans aren't running as much in the winter time I think we may have touched on that in another podcast but uh, anyway bees are important in the greenhouse and then uh, I don't think we mentioned but each of those clusters um, they get very heavy uh, especially this time of the year or they can they're they're not as strong I guess this time of the year so we put a hook on each one of those, hooking back to that same twine that supports the plant. Uh, so each each tomato cluster actually gets a hook, and that's part of the, the ongoing vine work that we do. So we've talked, uh, kind of talked through sort of how we grow them. Uh, would you say it's usually, what, three months or so from the time we start our seeds till we would be picking? Of course, that's a bit weather dependent. Yeah, uh, it depends. Like you say, uh, when the in the fall, it's a little bit disconcerting to a to a living plant to take it from longer uh, day length down to shortest days and then turn it around and start to stretch them out again. Uh, from here on out, you know, we're past the equinox, so uh, day lengths increasing. I think our plants plants just tend to do better when it's uh, a little bit more sunlight every day and days getting a little longer that's sort of the way they naturally would would grow so yeah we um we stagger we have three greenhouses here we stagger our plantings basically um, different times we obviously don't need three greenhouses full of tomatoes at every time of the year so we've yeah, I have kind of a fall house and then an early spring house and then 
another house we've we sometimes grow some heirloom tomatoes another side note we have found that these with a few tweaks we can also grow uh, cucumbers with the same mix Um, we can grow them hydroponically and they can actually be quite productive with a little additional fertilizer and uh, this year we've actually played around with some squash too that seem to be doing pretty well and i think there's an eggplant or two over there for our own use that's right and, uh, we've, we've done peppers peppers yeah, do pretty well a lot of yeah. interesting things you can you can grow this way but of course tomatoes are kind of our our bread and butter and that's yeah what we can grow uh, during the winter time so that's what we do so um last thing we'll touch on here in regards to tomatoes i'll talk a little bit about marketing uh we try to have our tomatoes available starting about the first of november right after the maize closes and all through the winter as long as our plants are doing well which usually we have at least enough to supply our little farm store here and then we try to have them on in uh to july ways about the time that field tomatoes and garden tomatoes are coming in and then the greenhouse get very hot and the tomatoes it's just more challenging than growing them inside and uh, that's usually about the time we we wrap them up clean out the greenhouses and sterilize things get ready to start another uh, growing season so talk a little bit about marketing uh, i mentioned our we sell quite a few right here at the store walk-in customers and where the rest of them go yeah, marketing is a, a fascinating thing, and uh, if anyone wondered about uh, raising produce, uh, generally good advice is to sort out your markets first. Well, uh, ours have kind of evolved along with uh, the rest of our operation. Uh, we do have several distributors we've been working with for numerous years, and uh, we, we've been blessed in that regard, uh, and we have marketed other products in other words our strawberries are going the same directions as the tomatoes uh, in the past we have grown some sweet corn uh, on a wholesale level for several years that followed the same channels so that's been uh, very helpful to have some consistent uh, places to move move those tomatoes along not too many uh, just individual stores, uh, especially not locally. We're happy with folks coming right out here to the farm. Uh, there are There is a store in Madison Heights, uh, another several that we supply in other areas. Um, but yeah, it, uh, marketing is a little tricky. We do want to prioritize our farm store right here at the farm. We'd like to have folks coming out here. Uh, this gives us an opportunity to, to market our seconds, our slightly defective or um, not quite as nice tomatoes. Uh, we can give you a smaller on size. Smaller yeah. size. <laughs> we can give you a deal on those. But uh, yes, marketing, you know, to balance production and demand, uh, not have too much of one or the other, is, is, can be a little tricky because uh, we're not dealing with exact. Uh, measurements here it has to kind of be done on the fly yeah we've kind of found a niche um some csa if people have used our tomatoes in the past and then um in the fall but especially early spring when uh, some other produce stands 
get started March and uh, April farmers market type places uh, a lot of us a lot of our tomatoes would go uh, those directions we've sold tomatoes well a lot of them north to Charlottesville and then a few would end up even in DC by a couple of various channels uh, markets and uh, through the local food hub in Charlottesville and then uh, some go west uh, Roanoke accounts to a distributor over in those parts and yeah that's about it all that I can think of off the top of my head and demand is really really good right here particularly when we have lots of traffic in for those strawberries so that's a very symbiotic relationship there uh, strawberry pickers seem to like other colors are red as well so they take lots of tomatoes home with them yeah and um we have yeah people who kind of make it their weekly stop to swing by the the store especially you know through the winter time and and spring when they they might grow tomatoes themselves at at home in their garden but they have no access to a high quality a really good tasting tomato in the winter time and so they swing by and get their allotment their weekly allotment so all right, I think that probably covers about as much about uh, growing tomatoes that we want to get into tonight. Probably so. I think you have a fire or two to fix, and I have a painting project I'm working on at home, so it's about ready for the second coat. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. everyone, for, for listening, and don't know if it will be us next time or maybe Alden will grace us with his presence back in the studio but until next time uh, whatever he says at the end of the podcast you should do that and i don't know why podcasts always say you should subscribe and do all that stuff because every podcast always says that so i'm not going to say that i'm going to find the little red button right here and and have a happy new year stop all right happy new year see you